0: All right, well, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to episode six of the Keep It Simple podcast. Uh, tonight, we're in for a treat. Uh, my very dear friend, good friend, Brandon Freebie is on, and uh, Brandon lives up in Fayette, Missouri. Uh, he is a husband and a father, um, he is a son and a brother. He's an incredible friend. Um, he's a pastor, um, and uh, he and his family have launched a project um, and are working together. They call it Three Chord Crossing, and so um, the one kind of unifying piece through all that is the importance of um, authenticity in relationship and in community. And, uh, so we've been talking about this quite a while and it is, uh, it's a real treat to have Brandon on, Brandon, well, Brandon, Brandon, welcome. And, uh, uh, gosh, I don't know how long we've been talking about this, but it's been quite a while.
1: Yeah, man, we've been, uh, you know, you and I've been friends really building our friendship for probably the last, I don't know, year or so. Uh, we've known each other longer than that and, you know, our, our, uh, uh, we have a like friend and Tim and Tim introduced us and thought we would get along great. And I think he was right. And uh, yeah. so, man, I, I've enjoyed getting to know you and I'm just honored that, uh, that you think I'm worthy of, of the Simplify project, man. It's cool. I'm excited to be here. So,
0: yeah, Tim. Uh, so a lot of you that listen and watch faithfully, um, you'll know Tim Rost. Um, so Tim is who Brandon's talking about. And, um, uh, so for, for people back in Georgia, um, what Tim told me, like in the years leading up to us actually becoming friends, uh, you know, uh, Tim kept saying, I got to get you in touch with my friend, Brandon, you guys will hit it off. He reminds me of like an adult Connor, like an older Connor. And, uh, so for you, Georgia people, uh, Tim was spot on. Um, those of you who know Connor and love Connor, uh, Brandon is, um, an older version of Connor, Connor. So we're talking about that, that quality, that type of person. So we'll dive right in, man. Um, uh, as a husband, as a father, um, Talk about a little bit about um, the importance of authenticity. Maybe share some of your story um, coming along, you know, uh, times or places where maybe you didn't sense or experience authenticity uh, and the effect that had on you um, and then how that has translated into your approach as a husband, as a father, uh, just with your family. Let's start there.
1: Yeah, I mean, community's always been a a big part of, of who my family's always been. Um, you know, I grew up, I grew up in the church. My grandfather was a, one of my grandfathers was a, was a pastor for 50 years. And so, um, I've seen, I've seen the, the good, the bad and the ugly and everything in between, um, as to what happens if community is not done well. Uh, I've seen what happens and the blessings that, that, uh, that are available to people when community's done well, and uh, I'll just be honest in my own life and my own struggles, I've I've experienced the consequences of being a part of of healthy community, and uh and the consequences of not being involved in community, whether that be something that happened to me uh, or just my own stubbornness, kind of stiff arm in community, you know, and yeah. so so uh so I think it's been it's been uh, a common theme that's been kind of intertwined, woven into the fabric of, of my life, my, my family, my marriage, the, even the way that I parent, um, you know, community is a big deal. And, uh, you know, I said all the time, if God wanted us to be alone, he wouldn't have created anybody for us to hang out with, you know, yeah. um, but that's not what happened. I mean, he created, he legitimately said it's not good for man to be alone. And so yeah. if, if God's saying that, then I think we probably ought to listen, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, but it's, it's been a big part of everything I've ever done. You know, I mean, I was a basketball coach for a long time before I got into full time ministry. Um, and then when I left that, you know, and got into ministry, obviously, when you're talking about church life and, and discipleship and the effort to discipleship uh, or to disciple people well, community, I believe is, is the, is the main vehicle for discipleship. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, community is important. And I, I mean, you mentioned three cord crossing. Um, we're not even really sure what that is yet or what it's going to yeah. turn into. Um, we just know that God put it on our hearts. Um, and so we're pursuing it and trusting that God's going to fill in the blanks as we go. But but even with that, I mean, it's it's 100% driven behind creating authentic, genuine community where people who have like minds, you know, whether it just be the agricultural community, the uh, outdoors community, the rural America community, whatever that would be, uh, would be able to find a safe place to feel like they belong to something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And you talked about this, um, kind of times and seasons in our lives where we isolate. Um, you and I have talked to me, we meet for lunch. For those of you who are watching and listening, Brandon and I get together every other uh, week for lunch. And so it's so life giving, um, and encouraging um, to be able to build a relationship with a person that's in the same trenches um, and hardwired alike and have a lot of the same passions and um, but that and it's I see it in men I don't know if you do or not but I see it in men more uh, than women um, but I think now two parts number one men that the, the, the um, the way that if left to our own vices, we, we will isolate. Um, but then culturally, just, just America as a culture, um, the way that we have come to live in silos, um, which breaks down that authentic community. Um, you know, what has been your experience personally and dealing, uh, with people, um, in this um, kind of tendency to isolate.
1: Yeah, I mean, and I think that that happened. Everybody really wants to blame it on COVID, right? Um, yeah. But I mean, dude, this has been happening a long time before that. Um, I think you're right. I think we see it more in men. Um, I think it's kind of driven in two parts. Number one, um, you know, those of those men that exist that really do feel um, their obligation um, and, uh, their calling, if you will, kind of how they're hardwired at the root of things to, to be the protector, to be the provider, to be the fixer. Um, I think for whatever reason, whether it be society or the enemy or whatever, I think they've, they've gotten to a place where a lot of men feel like failures if they can't figure out how to do things on their own without help. And so men have, have really, done their best to try to eliminate the need for other people. And Mm -hmm. I think that's gone to an unhealthy level. Um, you know, and I think that it's also driven by pride to some extent. I think Mm -hmm. that I'll just be honest. I think in my own life, I've struggled with some of that. And like, man, if I can't fix myself, then, then nobody else can do it or nobody else should have to do it. Or Mm -hmm. if I can't deal with my junk, um, you know, why would anybody else want to? And so I think it just deals with uh, a a lot of uh, a man's perspective about who he is, um, who he's been created to be. But, but my experience is this, and this has been my, you know, my personal life too. A lot of times what happens is it's just a lack of being willing to dig into it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I equate it to kind of the cancer thing, right? So like if you get, if you get diagnosed with cancer, there's a treatment, but you can't do a treatment until you know what kind of cancer you're dealing with. Well, Pride is a cancer in a lot of ways for for mm-hmm. men, and so what happens is is they start living a life that reveals all of these symptoms um, of not being not belonging to something that's bigger than themselves, not belonging to a community, and they want to fix it, but they don't know what it is, and so mm-hmm. they don't know what the root of the problem is, and so I think that's one of the things that uh, through my own struggles, I think I kind of came to that place where it's like, man, you got to do some work, like you got to get your hands dirty, and realize that. First you weren't designed to do this by yourself. So secondly, let's, you know, you got to figure out who are the people that love you enough to to get dirty with you, you know, mm-hmm. and to to do the work and and to roll up their sleeves and to deal with stuff that's not fun. Everybody wants to do the fun stuff, right? I mean, everybody yeah. wants to belong in relationships where they come out feeling like the hero, but you put a guy in a situation, especially men again, you put them in a situation where they got to admit that they're wrong or admit that something's broken inside of them and they just they're like, man, I'll just rub some dirt on it and move on. You know? mm-hmm. So, so I see that a lot. I mean, I see that a lot, and, and again, a lot of that is stuff that I walk through in my own walk in my own journey. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but to experience the healing that comes from the other side of that, to know that, to know that when you find a group of people who are a hundred percent willing to celebrate with you when you win. Um, but are willing to fight battles with you when you're struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, man, there's nothing like it. There's yeah. nothing like it. I don't know if you guys can hear that or not. My dog is being annoying.
0: Yeah, we're we're dog friendly. <laughs> we love dogs. Uh but yeah, I mean that so so there's this thing that you touched on, this idea of weakness and um you know my background coming out of rodeo and and dealing with stockmen and you know just kind of that uh, agricultural background to a degree. Um, you know I I get all of that and it is a hurdle. It is it can be a roadblock to think that vulnerability is weakness. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And and um, I see it. I do see it more in guys um and it seems to me just in my observation in a 20-year sample size the older a man gets before he's exposed to that authenticity and community the harder it is to take that step so like you've done youth work um longer than i did i mean you're still in those trenches you've done it a lot longer than i did so we talk about like preteens and teenagers if we begin to model and and introduce this, um, vulnerability and authenticity and trust. Um, trust is so big in the process, but if we begin to introduce that at a younger age before culture and before the world grabs a hold to somebody, um, I don't know what your experience has been like, but then by the time a young person gets, um, out of college kind of the last couple years of college and then out of college and into the workforce or whatever they're up to next it gets more and more difficult to break down those obstructions um and 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 to get a person to step into um, that authenticity has that been have you seen that has that kind of been true in your
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think what you've seen, um, I think even in the way that students, um, let's say young people, you know, high schoolers all the way into college age people, you know, the things that they deal with today, uh, I cannot imagine being a teenager in today's world, you know, either. either. Um, you know, I used to be like, I don't want to get old. But you think about that and like, (laughs) you know, when I was a teenager, there was no social media you know, there was dial up internet. And so it was like, (laughs) it was like, dude, I didn't have the world at my fingertips. And I think that I'll just be honest. I'm not one of the, I mean, you know me, I'm not one of those guys that that blames the devil for every little thing that goes wrong. I mean,
0: uh,
1: we like to, you know, make him the the scapegoat for a lot of our dumb decisions sometimes. But, but I I look at what teenagers have to deal with and, and you look at what happens. Right. And so immediately Um, You know, students enter this world of comparative Christianity, comparative everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so what has happened is society has created this abstract of of community, uh, you know, Instagram, Twitter, uh, TikTok, all the stuff. um, And they call it community. And it's not really community. It's just a place where kids go to realize they, they see the very best of what everybody wants to put on there. Mm-hmm. And so then they get off, you know, they turn their phone off or their battery dies or whatever. And then they start looking at their life and they're like, well, my life's nothing like that. Mm-hmm. And so then they start to put up these walls around them and, and prevent themselves from authentic community, which is mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Right. Mm-hmm. And so from a very young age, you look at that, and you're like, yeah, the enemy's got that figured out. Right. Like he's he's creating these fake versions of community for young people. Um, And so they have no they have nothing um, from the very beginning, potentially, unless the families and parents are intentional about, you know, encouraging them to create that Mm -hmm. they have nothing to lean on. And so then as the older that they get, what they've done is they've gone year after year after year after year, living under their own strength, living on their own power, living without the actual true, genuine uh, support and and, in, you know, relationships with people. And so as, as people get older and older and, uh, you know, they're, it, it looked different for older generations. You know, you look at generations now, I think of my grandparents, um, you know, who went through, you know, depression era, World War II era. You know, I had that one, you know, I had one grandfather that was a pastor that I've already mentioned. I had another one who was a World War II veteran. You know, I mean, there are things that he experienced that we just didn't talk about, you mm-hmm. know, and it was that mindset of just go do your job be who, you know, take care of your business, uh, you know, and just don't let anybody else into it. And so I'm not just saying that the, you know, today's young people have it worse than everybody else, but you're right. I think older, the older you get, you learn to adapt, you learn how to, it's that, uh, it's that, uh, you know, natural selection in a non-evolutionary term, you know, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. you learn how you, you learn how to adapt and, you learn how to live life and survive and do things to try to protect you and your own and um and and you lose I mean you can you can live that way. People have done it for years and you know generations, but you lose out on the blessings that God really created for a community to provide for you. And and I really do believe community, you know, I'm not to read too much into scripture. I don't want to do that, but you know when 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 we're called you know, when Christ says, you know, Hey, if you're tired, come to me and I'll give, you know, I'll give you rest. Yeah. And then he goes on and he says, my burden's light. You know, it doesn't mean that you're going to live a burden free life. What it means is, is that if you're doing it the way that he asks you to do it, um, it's going to be a little, it's going to be easier to wear, right? It's going to be something that's fitted for you. And I think that's what community is. I think that when we try to live life without community, we're, we're pulling on something that's not ours to pull. And, mm-hmm. um, And so, yeah, that's kind of a long answer to your question. But, yeah, I see that a lot. And even in students that, you know, even when I first got into ministry, I've always been involved in ministry, even when I was coaching basketball back in the day. But, you know, players I used to have or kids used to be in our youth group, you see them now, you know, as adults. And and you see that still, the walls that they begin to build when they were kids. They're still living behind, you know,
0: Yeah. And the flip side is true, too, though, right? So you see kids that came through your program that engaged and allowed the Spirit of God through relationships to work in them. And you can, even from afar, you can keep up with them on the socials and you see yeah. kind of the tendencies in their lives and what their lives are producing. And so it's kind of a, uh, at least in my experience, that's a double-sided coin. You know, you see the ones who were not willing to break out of their silos and who wanted to stay, you know, uh, guarded. And then you see the ones who were willing to take those steps and kind of, not saying that they're perfect, you um, but certainly, growing, growing in relationship and and growing in grace. Um, you know, one of the biggest struggles for me is when I'm uh, interacting with like a thirty to forty year old guy, um, with 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 um, either coming into the relationship, trying to build the friendship with no background of authenticity and so as you get to know a person journey with a person hunt with them whatever you're doing hey how are you i'm good how are things fine you know yeah how's how's work fine how's family fine everything's fine yeah Um, and and you know because you live you live your own story you know well everything very seldom is everything fine you know
1: yeah yeah, I think you know that I've seen that for so long, and, and you know, not to—I don't want to chase too many rabbits here, but like rule—that's why rule America. I feel like God has kind of put me smack dab in the place where I feel most comfortable. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, we we were living in the Springfield, Missouri area, which is just blowing up. I mean, people are moving there like crazy. And I was on staff at a church. This was right after I got out of coaching, and uh, you know, we're on staff and what is kind of a suburban area. At um, the to time, was one of the fastest growing churches in the state of Missouri, just doing some incredible things. We go to this conference, right? Um, this ministry conference, church leader conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We, we go to the conference and the speaker, uh, his name was Shannon O'Dell. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but no. he, uh, he gets up and he starts preaching this message and he's like, you know, we, we spend, you know, bazillions of dollars and, on people who go to the most remote places over on the other side of the planet, which is good. Like, that's a great thing. But he's like, then we got people who are called to the most remote places in the United States and we question their calling and we question whether Ooh. or not that, you know, we question whether or not it's really, if they've really heard from God. And so dude, he just starts reading my mail. My <laughs> wife was at the conference with me. Right. And so she grew up in Kansas city. And so she's, you know, she, she didn't know what to do with me, you know, little hip boy from, you know, South central Missouri, you know, there was more cows than people. And, and I mean, that was just, it was just crazy. And I remember after he got done preaching that message and I, I couldn't move, I couldn't get out of my seat. And she looked at me and she's just, she just stood there and she's like, we're, we're moving back to small town, aren't we? And I said, yeah, I think we are. Wow. And, and, uh, and that was one of the, the, you know, when we started pursuing that and, and beginning to try to figure out what that looked like for us, um, I, one of the first things that I thought about was if, if anybody is living, you know, watching this lives in a small town, you know, they may experience the same thing, but people who, who live in flyover states, especially in agricultural communities, farming communities that are small, um, they're very proud Uh, in a good way. And what I mean by that is, is like, they're proud of the, how hard they work and they should be because they work their tails off, you know? Um, um, But, but with that sometimes comes um, a wall that you build up around yourself that creates this isolation thing. Like Mm -hmm. um, we can do this on our own. We don't need your help. Um, Mm -hmm. You know? And I, I mean, and I think that society has helped us get to that place. And, and that's one of the things that immediately when, when we moved back to Fayette, um, I remember we moved we moved in uh, in August and uh, we were not even unpacked. We had no place to live. Like we were living in my brother's house uh, because we couldn't find anywhere to live. And instead of trying to figure out where we were going to live or unpacking boxes in some kind of rental property, two days after we moved here, um, we started trying to build relationships with people who we knew were in the community. I was hauling hay for a guy who's become one of a really good friend of mine, who ironically was a student when I used to teach here. This is my second stint in Fayette. And so the first time we came to Fayette, I was a teacher. He was a student here. And never in a million years would I have thought, man, we're going to be friends someday. You know, Mm -hmm. we show up and we immediately just went to work. And uh, two days after we moved here, man, we were in his hay field throwing square bales. Wow! Not because not because I love hauling hay that much, um, <laughs> but because but because that's what we came here to do was to build relationships and and establish community with individuals who um, you know had like minded interests and who were family guys and, and uh, you know we just wanted to live life with people to know that they weren't alone mm-hmm. and uh, and so that was something that we with my experience of growing up in a small town uh, I witnessed that firsthand. And the importance of community and, and authentic uh, relationships with individuals, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're never gonna you're never gonna be able to minister or to, to disciple a person or really be a genuine friend that can win with the person or, or you know celebrate with them when they win or go through tough seasons with them until you have relationship rapport credibility um, until you can prove that you genuinely. Give a hoot about that person. Yeah, Uh, they got they got no time for you, nor should Mm -hmm. they, frankly. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so that's really that's been really kind of at the heartbeat of of ministry and and going back to to smaller communities. So
0: that mindset of people have to know that you care before they care what you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's good. They have to know that you that you care about them. Um, Yeah,
1: you can tell them all day long, right? But I mean, if you ain't if you're not living it out. Dude, talk is cheap. I mean, the the world in which we live today, that's all people do is run their mouth. Man. Yeah. And so until until you can get to a place to where day in and day out and time after time, when opportunities present themselves, they didn't have to come beg you for help. They didn't have right. to come beg you to live life with them. Right. But what you've done is you, you have genuinely proven, hey, dude, I want to live life with you and your family. We want to mm-hmm. We, we want to do this thing together with you, not because we want something out of it, but just because we genuinely love you and we want to yeah. see you succeed.
0: So. Yeah. Uh, have you ever read the book uh, uh, the, the Speed of Trust – Uh, Steve, Stephen Coveney or Stephen, it's, it's a business book. Um, but, but, but for me, when I read it, I I was asked to read it. I was on staff at a church and the lead pastor, who's a great friend of mine, who I love dearly, had our staff read it. And, um, so, how i'm hardwired i'm processing it all from a relational side but the the gist of the book and what stuck with me is um trust the speed of trust is expedited centered around two things character and competency and so so in our relationships kind of staying in this theme or thread of people have to know that you care before they care what you know. Um, In character and competency, are you trustworthy Um, when you are with a person, whether that's a week, a month, or a year, and they do begin to confide in you? um, Are you trustworthy? Are you a steel trap? Are you a person that's going to take whatever it is they have to share and just hold it? Um, yeah. and that character in that, and then the competency part is if they come in need or asking for help, um, to be able to be competent, competent enough to meet their needs or try to come alongside. And if, if, if we're not in silos and we do have this web of authentic relationship, maybe just maybe you come to me about something and it's not in my wheelhouse. I have no experience. I, I, I don't know how to help you, but I know a guy. Yeah,
1: and, yeah, and, yeah. And,
0: and that guy has got a type of relationship like you and I have. And then, you know, you you build this network of like-minded people who are all just trying to be authentic and transparent. And so I think the, the character piece and the competency a lot of times in my relationships with other guys, the first thing that we have to get is the is the trust, that character, and then, um, just like my friend Gabe, who was on a couple episodes ago, you know he's got this saying, people aren't projects, mm-hmm. and and so when they finally do come to us, which is an act of trust, when they finally do come to us for us as men, not to go into fix mode, um, but just to journey alongside people and um, prove ourselves competent. And um, one more thing, and then I'll be quiet and you can take off. But um, the the other thing that I think keeps a lot of people, men and women alike, um, keeps them on the fence and unwilling to engage deeply is they don't think that they are competent enough. So what if I build this relationship? What if there is a need? What if this person asks and I don't know the answer or I don't know how to go about helping them? Well, then I feel like an ignoramus, you know. Um, So out of all that, what stuck out? What What are your thoughts on that?
1: yeah I think man i I'm right there with you I think uh, you know personally I try not to speak for a lot of other people but I think for me personally one of the biggest mistakes that I've made in my life are those moments when I try to be the fixer right oh yeah like or or try to pretend like I know more about something than what I really know um, <laughs> yeah. oh. man that that's the that's the quickest way that's the quickest way to ruin a relationship right there is just dude if you don't know something about something then just say it right because yeah but I love what you said, you know, about the fact that if, if you're living if you're living in genuine community, what that should look like is listen, I, I'm I'm not asking you to fix the problem, but can you just go through this with me? Mm-hmm. And and I may not have the answers or someone may not have the answers for me, but what happens is is it's it's you know, I'm reminded of that, that passage of scripture that talked that, that you know we're we're given this illustration of the different parts of the body. The hand does this, the foot does that. Mm-hmm. you know and they're designed for different purposes and man i think the design for that is 100% woven into a you know genuine authentic community because i mean you know ben you you got gifts and talents that i don't have you got insight and and you got friends um that i don't have but doing community and doing life with you if something ever comes up and you know knowing you the way that i do now i know that you're not going to necessarily have all the answers um, but what I do know is that you genuinely care about what mm-hmm. I'm going through. I know that you're going to pray with me about it, which means that if none of us have the answers and now I got two people praying about it instead of one, you know, yeah. uh, but there may be people in your life that have gone through this. That's what I love about what you're doing with this podcast. You know I mean? As I've watched these other guys and, and the, you know, the gal that you had on last week, mm-hmm. as I hear their stories and, and, uh, man. They're, they go through things that are specific and in, in, in they're um, things that I, I never had to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, but I have had to go through things that they've never gone through. You know? right. And so it's not a matter of whether who is more prepared or less prepared or more talented or less talented, but mm-hmm. it really is, I believe, woven into the design of community because we truly are, you know, better together. That's the heart of, of three chord crossing. I mean, the, the verse that we we use to back that up, you know, it goes on and it says, dude, where two people would fail, maybe three would not fail, you know, oh, you're, wow. you're stronger in numbers and, and, um, uh, you know, the things that you face alone, it's very possible. You're not going to get through it, but if you got two or three people that you really love and trust, it's not their job to fix it. It's just their job to stand there with you, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, I I think you're, you hit the nail on the head there, bro. I think it's, um, uh, I think that that's the, the very, the, the divine design, if you will, wow. of, of what authentic and uh, authentic and genuine community is supposed to look like.
0: Yeah, and so I had a professor one time. I don't remember much, of any, of the things the professors <laughs> say. But I had a professor one time that said something to me that was simple and profound. And um, what he said is, uh, we need to practice the ministry of presence. Oh yeah. He, basically, he said, "Show up and shut up." That's, that yep. was, that's what stuck with me is like, don't fix, you don't have to have answers, literally just practice showing up, just show up, uh, yep. show up in people's lives, listen, journey. If they ask a question, try to answer it. If, if you don't know the answer, the best thing you can say is I don't know. Yep. Um, yep. but yeah, that, that, that weaving together of people's stories, um, It's interesting with the simplified deal, you know, we've kind of moved all over the map since 2018, um, over and over again, trying to be obedient, but really not super sure. And you and I have talked about this at some of our lunches and commiserated um, with your work at Three Chord Crossing and my work here. Um, You know, it's like God puts something on your heart but you're not super concrete exactly what he's up to. And so right. you work you work at it, and you gain a little traction, but then it just kind of doesn't take. And so you think, well, maybe I missed that. Maybe I should just leave that alone. And as soon as we put it down, then the Lord brings it right back. And, and um, you know, uh, to your point, I do think that the... Um, unpolished, unstructured, no agenda, just sitting down. I had a friend, a really close friend. He's going to be on in a couple weeks. He texted me the other day. He said, dude, I appreciate the podcast because at the end of each one, I felt like I've just sat and had a conversation with you for an hour or so. And I miss, I miss you. Like I enjoy being with you. and, And this podcast is a way to feel that connection and, um, so I guess that might be uh, what God's got going on here. But uh, to encourage one another, somebody will hear parts and pieces of this and it will speak in of your story and, and who you are and how you are. And that will speak in to maybe something that they've got going or some season that they're in. Or um, So to, to encourage that, um, I believe, is a gift. Um, to attempt to model it um, from afar, you know, um, is an interesting process.
1: Yeah, uh, man, yeah. Yeah, you and I have talked a lot about that. Um, you know, the the heart of three-chord crossing was, was interesting. It literally came to me. I have these bouts. I don't know about you, but I have these bouts of, I don't know, Holy insomnia, I guess I kind of call it. You know, (laughs)
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You lay in, you lay in bed, you stare at the ceiling, you toss and turn. Um, And what I've learned in my life is, is usually the Lord's trying to get my attention in those moments. And and He brought that, you know, He brought that idea of three chord crossing to to my brain in the middle of the night one night. You know, I love, I love hunting. I love fishing. I love being outdoors. But dude, the outdoor market for anything is so oversaturated. I'm like, that's the last thing I want to do is to create something that's been recreated, you know, 7.4 billion times in the last (laughs) 20 years. Yeah. But, but really at the heart of it, what began to resonate in my mind was like, man, just tell your story. Um,
0: Amen, man.
1: You know, the reality, the reality of the matter is, is that everybody has a story. Every story is different, but every story, um, has lessons to be learned from it. Every story, um, is going to find it's every story will fall on somebody's ears that can relate to it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's, that's really, I, I mean, we're not selling anything. Like we got, we got no merch. We got no, got no product right now. We don't even know what that looks like in the future. We got, you know, you can't even get online on our website right now and order, can't even order a bumper sticker. Like there's none of that, you know, but, um, but what it is, is it's, it's, it's a series of blogs and and some video content that we've created and that we've committed to try to continue to make available to people that doesn't tell anybody else's story, but our own. Mm-hmm. You know, and um one of my favorite pieces that we've done in the last couple of years was a video that um we called Golden Calves that my brother Wes he, he wrote and narrated the video that we put together and it was just his own take on what it looked like to have his own version of golden calves mm-hmm. in his life and, and the fact that golden calves looks different for each person and encouraged the the listener or the watcher I guess, of the video to, to be able to evaluate their life and say, man, is there anything that's in your life that doesn't look like, literally doesn't look like a calf, but mm-hmm. would be a golden calf is something that, that gets in the way of your pursuit of reward. And that's really what we're doing is just trying to tell our stories. It's therapeutic for us, to be honest. I mean, it's just yeah. kind of, it's cheaper than going to therapy. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, um, and it's just one of those things that, I can't tell you how many times, even in the last year and a half, somebody who I least expected would say, man, I saw your blog and it's incredibly freeing to know that you're wrestling with that wow. because you'll find interwoven in there. Like there's no answers, like there's nothing
0: yeah.
1: like we'll, we'll try to point people to the right direction and, and we're super vulnerable about some of the things that we're walking through. Um, and that's the encouraging part to a lot of people, you know, and mm-hmm. And so for now we have to be okay with that, that that's what we know about it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And again, like I said earlier, just trust that the Lord's going to fill in the blanks as we go and, and he'll make it as big or as little as he wants to make it. But that's what I love about what you guys are doing with simplify, man. It's the same thing. It's, it's telling the stories of people. Um, you know, I, I've watched all the episodes so far and what a blessing each one of those stories are, man. And they're so just radically different. Mm-hmm. Each person is so incredibly different. But when I get done watching those things, man, it's like, dude, I feel like I just hung out and, and shared lunch with these guys. And they're just hey, kind of really? telling me who they are, you know, and I love it. Yeah. And, and that's what we hope. That's what we hope three court crossing can do too. It's just, you know, be a bridge to bring people to a deeper level of community with people. So.
0: Yeah. And that, um, you know, you and I have talked about this. Um, I, I've got this dream. I want to, I want to work towards building out a simplify retreat yeah. and um, kind of just think kind of like your most epic youth retreat, but for adults. Yeah. And, uh, but, but when we do that, you know, like Lisa retreat center couples or individuals can come in and, and there'll be lodging and food and worship sessions and all the things, but then to have like, have a session that's three chord crossing driven, or like my friend Jared Middleton um, down um, in Dublin, Georgia, who's doing a twenty four seven prayer movement. Um, have have a session that's that's twenty four seven prayer. Have a session that's and bring in all of these people in person, um, uh, just to hang out together and to do life together yeah. and to meet and integrate and, um, you know, I, I think that. When that comes to fruition, when that becomes a reality, that would be a beautiful snapshot um, of kingdom work to have all of those people from all these different backgrounds and walks of life um, in a shared space um, you know, kind of kind of in one mindset um would be really really cool and so in that um if you're listening to this or watching this my hope is that one day you get to meet brandon and wes and you know and, and interact with them to get to know more um about their story and three chord crossings what your website is three cord crossing
1: yeah dot com and dot com. uh three cord crossing dot com and um you know it's 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 you know you were talking about just kind of the ins and outs of whether or not you're going to pursue it or not. You know, I owe, I owe a lot of, uh, I owe a lot to my wife. Um, you know, this year I told you this story, you know, you know how it is to keep websites up and going and it costs money, not exorbitant amounts of money, but dude, I got two teenagers. Um, you know, my son is 16. So my insurance automatically tripled, um, you know, when he got his (laughs) license. And so there's always things that, that demand your money. Right. And, um, And so it came up time for us to try to consider whether or not it was worth keeping our website up and going and, and, you know, to pay for that. And and we sit down and, and, you know, my wife looked at me and she said, listen, this is what, if this is something of, you know, the Lord has told you to do, she's like, I don't, she's like, I don't want you to have all the answers as to what you're supposed to be doing with it. Just do it, you know? And so, um, so we kept it on, you know? And and so that was earlier, I guess last month And um, so you know we're committed to continue to try to figure it all out. And uh, but that's let's you know you mentioned that it's kind of this weaving and this uh, this fluidity, if you will, of just trying <laughs> to listen for the Lord. And and uh, yeah, man, those types of things, like you mentioned, the, the conference or the whatever you want to call it, the get together, yeah. dude. I mean that's community, right? It's getting yeah. people of all shapes and sizes and backgrounds and all kinds of just you know talking shop and and, uh, you know, the reality, the, the common denominator and all that is this, right? It's, it's, it's getting people together that understand that they're just broken people in need of, of, of a Savior, uh, mm-hmm. broken people in need of, of healing. Um, and it may look different, but doing it together, man, it's so, there's so much power in that.
0: Mm-hmm. So making a shift, let's, uh, I don't want to let you go without spending some time. Let's talk about um, being a husband let's talk about being a father um the authenticity and transparency not just in our marriage uh but in our relationships with our children you and i have talked about that a lot um you know our our well your oldest and my youngest are very very close to the same age and so in that way we're kind of in the same seasons of fatherhood um so let's just talk a little bit about—so often we think about authenticity in relationship, and we think about in friends and these social circles and church groups and that. But what about in the home? What about the importance of authenticity relationally in the home?
1: Yeah, I mean, my wife and I just celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary uh, this past Praise July.
0: Yeah. And, um,
1: you know, our story is pretty— um, well, I mean, it's incredible to me. Um, you know, I, we got married, um, and our first year of marriage was, was awful. I mean, it was, it was hard. I had no idea how to be a husband mm-hmm. and, um, I had a, I had a temper, um, and I never laid hands on my wife, but man, I patched a lot of holes in drywall <laughs> and, uh, you know, painted a lot of nicks that I put there cause I threw my keys or whatever. Um, I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I'm ashamed of that, but it's, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I, I, we lived in pretty close proximity to my parents at the time. And so anytime we would face a frustrating issue, I'd just run, you know, I'd Mm -hmm. leave the house. Um, and, um, so that's how we found Fayette the first time was in our second year of marriage. There's some job things that happened and, you know, budget cuts and whatnot. I made the decision to, to look for a new job and, and, um, God brought us to Fayette, Missouri, in 2004. We didn't know anybody here. Um, we had no friends. I didn't even know this place existed on a map. Um, wow! Until until I looked up the directions to come to the job interview here, um, and and we, my wife and I, both would tell you that this place um, saved our marriage. Um, we had to uh-huh. learn how to live life together, how to be partners. Um, and we, we had to invite God into that and, and, uh, the healing work that he did when he moved us away from anyone and everyone who we'd ever known. And we're not talking like a plane ride away, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you can't just get in your car and drive four hours back to mom and dad when something goes wrong. <laughs> and right. so, you know, here, here I was in my early twenties and, and we moved to a weird place and we had to learn how to do community, just the two of us back in the early 2000s, we had to realize that, that God's design for marriage is that we did it together rather than two individuals just trying to figure out how to make it work. And that's really the first time that, that I started to understand what, what God's design for relationships looks like. Um, And, uh, you know, he, he just saved us. I mean, he just, he orchestrated things. I look at it in hindsight and the things that we've walked through, um, and the community that was established because we made that move Mm -hmm. and and the things that we went through, I mean, I I don't know how much of our story you want to know, but, um, you know, we, we had both, um, I had gone through some stuff as a kid physically that, um, doctors had told me were, was going to make it, um, pretty difficult for us to have kids. Mm -hmm. My wife was told as a, as a teenager that she wasn't going to be able to have kids. And so that was something that was pretty important to us. So during that whole process, about four years into our marriage, you know, things were much better. Um, our relationship was solid. We started to walk through the adoption process of, uh, you know, adopting a child into our home. It was something that we both wanted to do to be parents, you know, and about seven months into that process. <laughs> um, I, I came home from basketball practice that day and my wife, she throws this thing in my face, right little did I know until later that it was the pregnancy test that she had peed on to figure out whether or not she was pregnant, you know? And so I'm looking at it, trying to figure out what's going on. And it didn't dawn on me. It didn't register till later that she threw something that she had peed on in my face. But, um, but, uh, but no, we, you know, about seven months into that whole process, we found out that we were pregnant with Caleb and just the, just the overwhelming emotional um, impact that that had on us, just, it was almost, I'm not going to say that this was a thus say the Lord thing, but it was almost one of these things where it was like, listen, you've been obedient to figure out what it looks like to live life together. Mm-hmm. Um, that you guys are, you know, your partners in this. And, and it was almost like he, that God just kind of smiled on us and said, you know, this is, this is what happens. And and so now I'm going to trust you to be parents. And so despite what doctors had told us, we, you know, we had Caleb um, and it was interesting. I don't know if you've ever done this, but uh, I got a little greedy in my prayer life after we found out that she was <laughs> pregnant. So now, so now it wasn't just enough to have a child on the way. Like I was praying, God, give me a redheaded, blue eyed boy who is going to be a, a great basketball player, you know, because I was a basketball coach at the time. Yeah, and so it was pretty funny. So my son was born; he had a red mohawk, and he had bright blue eyes. And uh, now his eyes have since changed, and he still has kind of red his hair. But and he's a great he's a good athlete, you know. Yeah. And it's just funny how good God is. And uh, you know, and then we had Kaylee uh, about a year and a half later. She's fourteen now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, but that's something that even now as parents, you know, with teenage with teenagers. Uh, we purposefully and, and we're intentional with encouraging them um, to find genuine, authentic community. Um, mm-hmm. um, and it's hard, as you can imagine. You've walked through it. Uh, mm-hmm. It's tough to find friends that you trust your kids with.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Gracious um, sakes. Yes. But um,
1: but but our, our kids, you know, have been so blessed with a great group of, of friends that um, they're not without drama. They don't You know, they have their flaws, they go through Mm -hmm. their stuff, but, um, but they're starting to understand the importance of, of genuine, you know, authentic community. And you and I talked, you know, um, the other day, last time we had lunch, you know, they're starting to understand what it feels like when you don't have that too. Mm -hmm. So, so that's a really long answer to your question. But even in my marriage, beginning in the early days, I began to understand what that looked like in the in the, in the relationship of marriage. And then as parents, because we walked through that, I think we had a better understanding of what life looked like without it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so we've, we've parented very intentionally with making our kids understand that, you know, at some point in time, you're going to graduate and you're going to go on and, and you've got You're going to have to figure out how to do this thing called life on your own. Mm -hmm. But remember that it, it wasn't designed for you to do it by yourself and, they're off to a good start. Hopefully we're not messing them up too bad along the way. So.
0: Yeah, and that um so I, I'm I have I'm fully convinced. I have this deep conviction that when honest open communication breaks down, authentic relationship breaks down. So as yeah. as goes honest open communication, and whether it be in our marriage our marriages whether it be in our relationships with our kids the inability to stay at the table like when yeah. we when we get to this place where i don't know if we want to call it i don't know if we want to call it selfishness i don't know what, if we even need to call it anything but when we get to this place to where we just shut down or flee fight or flight depending on how you're hardwired when honest and i mean like truly honest accurate representation of self when honest open communication breaks down authentic uh, authenticity and relationship goes out the window and yeah. um i've seen it in uh, my own our marriage. I've seen it in uh, couples that we've journeyed with, uh, been blessed enough to journey alongside and um, you know that 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 ability, but with our kids, that's where I'm getting at in this is not just with our our mates, our spouses, but with our kids. you know, I know early on as a dad, early on as a dad, I would blow hot over the strangest things. Um, More times than not, had zero, nothing to do with my kids. Um, To be quite honest with you, if we're being transparent, usually when I blew hot, it was because what I thought others would perceive of me as a father through my children's behavior. So it Come had on, nothing yeah. it, had, it had nothing to do with my kids. It was all yeah. it was all about me and if my kids act this way or don't act that way or say this thing or don't say that thing then others are not going to perceive that I'm a, a good dad or a right dad or whatever and um, which all of that is just kind of work that we have to partner with the Spirit of God to work out in us. but um, in those instances then to be able to go back to our kids and sit down and say, you know what man I got that wrong yeah. um and and I own it like and and I've seen parents double down so I've seen parents come to this realization like I messed up but instead of taking the humility route and going and sitting down in authenticity with their kids and saying look dude I messed up and that really had nothing to do with you it was about me and I'm sorry and I'm asking you to forgive me in, yeah. Instead of going that route, I've seen parents double down and been, you know, and I've seen the harm that that causes in students within our ministry and just other folks I've dealt with. But, but, um, you know, <laughs> I'll never forget the look on Wick's face the first time I sat down with him and apologized <laughs> and asked him to forgive me. His face is like, what is happening right now? You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. The uh, I hammer re- is
1: about to drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I,
0: he was. I don't know how old he was. He was, what, 11 or 12 years old maybe. Um, and I don't even remember the issue, of course. But just when I went to him and sat down, I mean, it was hard. I'm dealing with a kid yeah. that I love more than anything, literally more than anything. And even that, I mean, my hands are shaking, fully invested, like the, all the emotions, the love is there. But it's still hard, right, to sit down and say, I got it wrong. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, what you're speaking of, I think, is is just the, it's two things. Number one, it's recognizing that we're gonna, we're, at some point in time, we're gonna make mistakes, and yeah. coming to this reality that that perfection as a parent or as a spouse is a perceived fairy tale. Like mm-hmm. it will never be a reality. Um, yeah, you're going to make mistakes. You're going uh, daily, like probably multiple times a day. Yeah, and the quicker that you know, you know, the quicker that we can come to that realization. Then is when God can do the work right that that he steps in and he begins to make us understand the intentionality that it takes to do it. Because a lot of times what happens, at least my experience has been in my own life and with other people, you know, that I've had the opportunity to do life with them. It's when everything is going right that they get complacent and they're not intentionally doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. They're not intentionally continuing to build relationships. Yeah. And so when you're not doing it because everything seems right with the world, that's when something sneaks in and all of a sudden just, you know, just blows everything up. Mm-hmm. And it's coming to the realization that you, you've got to do these things on purpose,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, on purpose. And, um, you know, as a husband, as a, as a, you know, as a wife, as a dad, as a mom, the thing that you're talking about is is coming to grips with the fact that, okay, I realize that I need to do this. Like, you you had to apologize to Wick. I know, you know, a great example that I can think of is my kids are polar opposites. Um, my son is stubborn and, and is tough as nails. And you've got to, you know, growing up, he, I had to parent him in a way that got his attention, right?
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I
1: have my 14-year-old girl, and she is tender-hearted and soft-natured. And if I even looked at her with an ounce of anger in my stare, like she'd lose it. She'd mm-hmm. cry and, and she would just melt, you know, and and it was understanding the differences of the people that I, that, that God had entrusted me with as my children mm-hmm. and knowing that now I'm responsible for intentionally investing in their life, not just as their dad. But making them understand that relationships is designed—they're—they're they're designed by God, and this is how you work and build on those. And so, mm-hmm. I feel like the relationships that I have with my kids—they're um, not perfect. I make mistakes, um, but what I know is, is they probably know more about me mm-hmm. than most anybody else on this planet. They've walked with me through ministry, which, as you're fully aware, is—I um, do not people don't understand that the toll that that takes on kids, they do not understand it. And, um, you know, they deserve a medal or something, the equivalent of whatever that looks like for them, just for what, what that demands of them. Yeah. Um, the unfair expectations that it places upon them. And Uh so I owe it, I owe it to them to be real and upfront and to let them into my life. And so they know, they know about the struggles that, that I've had, you know, um, you know, you, you and I talked about this, you know, about four and a half, five years ago, I went through a real, real big battle with just mental health. And, and I initially tried to, to hide that from my kids, mm-hmm. but they're not stupid. Like they knew that something was wrong and they knew that my behavior was being influenced by something that they knew was not them. Mm-hmm. And the only way I knew how to parent through that was to let them into it. And, uh, so you know, there are still things that we protect our kids from, but we we're open and vulnerable and honest with our kids. Yeah. Um, and uh, they, they help us make big decisions. Um, ultimately the, the ultimate decisions always made by their parent. you know, by me and their mom, um, you know, but we always ask their opinion. And I think that models healthy relationships, healthy community.
0: Mm-hmm. And my
1: prayer is, is that since we're parenting them in that way, um, that maybe that's how they'll live their life. You know, they'll be willing yeah. to let people in. They'll be, yeah. they'll be willing to understand that, um, you know, the intentionality that it takes to do it well. So.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think about this idea? I, I, I've got another idea. Uh, you know, all we are products of our environments and our lived experiences, but, I've got this idea that the closer a person is to you, the harder it is to constantly and consistently remain open and 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 transparent and um and not so much in the immediate so like in the context of being a father you know with our spouses or with our children not so much but then once you get beyond that ring beyond that ripple so you get i'm in this and you are too i think i'm in this weird stage where my role with my parents have started to change yeah. And all of my life, they've been the caregivers and I've been the child. And then we're in this strange season where that's starting to kind of reverse a little bit, um, dealing with, um, my siblings who I love dearly. We have great relationships, but that would be maybe that next string. And then the closest friends that we have, you know, the Tims and the, those people in our lives, um, the closer somebody is, the harder it is for me, over and enduring, like the long, the long run, to continuously, again and again and again and again, remain open and vulnerable, especially if there's been hurt. But yeah. then these, but then these people on the periphery, a lot of times, I find myself being. Giving them more of a benefit of the doubt, or or being a little more open to some of those people on the periphery that I may never truly deeply engage with. If have you experienced any of that at all, or or am I just a weirdo? <laughs>
1: no, I don't. I don't think you're a weirdo at all. I I, I think you know. Again, I can't speak for everybody else, but sure. my experience has been my experience has been that if I'm in relationships with individuals. I catch myself just making assumptions that are unfair assumptions, um, based upon things that have happened historically over time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe a situation came up, and you know, a, a friend or a family member responded in that, you know, in this particular way, and so you just expect that to be the default mechanism every time something comes up. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I see that, and and I used to get real offended. I I used to feel like a failure in that and mm-hmm. you know where you would let you know somebody would get upset or they would feel disappointed or or you know maybe they feel betrayed or maybe they feel like they don't matter to you um that's never the end goal right but but what happens is is that that individual so close to you it's almost like we we take the liberty of thinking well I can get away with more because that person's close to me now
0: Yes, they're um, stuck. They're stuck with me. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, and and I know I'm guilty of that. You know, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this decision that is gonna put this person second, mm. um, because of the fact that I know that they can take it better, and it's mm-hmm. not gonna ruin the relationship. You know, what a faulty what a How, faulty way of thinking. Yes, you know? yes, yes. Uh, but even as I'm sitting here. T- saying that out loud. I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, yep, I need to apologize to this person and call this person and apologize. Yeah. But but I think that that's, I mean, I mean the great example would be a husband and a wife, right? I mean, yeah. how many times, how many times do we take out our bad day on our spouse and they're the least deserving, um, but they're the closest person to us. And so um, we just take it out on them because we know they're stuck with
0: us. <laughs> yeah, or uh, you know? or not to interrupt your train of thought, but as a pastor, as people who are in the people business, uh, it, I, don't, I know that probably doesn't land great, but it's true. I mean, we don't deal with like goods and services; we deal with people. Right. How many times do you get home at the end of the day and you are peopled out? You, sure. you have you have nothing left to give. And yeah. so, and so, it's not even making decisions that doesn't involve or or consider another. It's just like you're done, like you're done. You just sit and watch, stare mindlessly at the television, until it's an appropriate time to go to till like nine o'clock. And yeah. if you can, and yeah. if you can do that without saying a word. Um, It should not be that way. It should not. And I'm not like, oh, gosh, woe is me. We're pastors. But that's a very true, that's a very real experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. You know, I I always used to, uh, you know, in, in my wrestling with ministry and what God has called me to do over the course of my life and still is to this day, I still wonder. I have those kind of those moments where I'm like, I am arguably one of the biggest introverts I know.
0: Like, yeah, yeah I, same. I,
1: I don't really like going on vacation, not because I don't like going places, but because I know there are going to be people there. You know? Same. And and so, which goes against the grain of what we're supposed to be about, you know, yeah. about being pastors. And, and I mean, I love, I love our church. I love yeah. our people.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. But, you know, there's an old saying that says you can't continue to pour out, from an empty bucket
0: mm-hmm.
1: and there's, there's just moments where your bucket's empty, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think, I think I, you know, I went through a season with that early on, um, before my kids got into high school, they're both in high school now, but you know, when they, when they were younger, um, I went through a season where I, I gave everything I had to everybody that was in my life and my family, my kids especially got my leftovers. Mm hmm. And, and God really worked me over on that. And, and, um, and so now I am unapologetically, um, I mean, I believe that my primary ministry before I step out of my, my door on a daily basis is my family. Mm -hmm. And if I can't, if I can't minister to my family, then, then I'm likely not going to be real effective to minister to anybody else. And so, you know, it's, like what you're talking about, I, that started with them feeling like I was disap- i was a disappointment to them because they were getting my leftovers. You know, mm-hmm. everybody else was getting my best effort, and and they there was nothing left to give them. And so that's really what started that shift in me to deal with some of that. That um, you know, it's it's an, a greater level of awareness, a greater level of intentionality to to give them the best version, the best portion of what I have to give Mm. and then give out of the abundance of what God gives to me as a, as a pastor, you know? And, Mm -hmm. and uh, you know, I feel like ever since I made that little, that little shift in the way that I approach that as a dad and as a husband, I feel like it's, it's not just benefited our family, but I feel like it's made me a a more effective pastor, you Mm -hmm. know? And I think that, that when people see that, that my family matters to me. Um, it, it helps them understand, man, that this guy isn't just all talk, you know, he's not fluff. He's, he's the same dude at home that we see at church on Sunday. And I mean, I think that goes a long way with,
0: Which is authenticity. I mean, it goes back to that authenticity, and I don't think it's unique to pastors. I think that it's anybody that's in the people business. So, like Mm. sales, salesmen, um, folks that are making sales calls and are with people. I mean, all these. There are many, many professions where people are in the people business. Yeah. Um, My wife's an educator.
1: My wife's a teacher and it's certainly the same way there, you know, there's just yeah, there's days that she comes home from school, she's passionate about her students. Um, she's incredible at what she does. Um and there are just <laughs> some days when she comes home and you look at her and she doesn't have to say anything. Like it's like, Don't talk to me, don't touch me, just leave me alone. <laughs> like we'll try again tomorrow, you know? And uh, and that's part of it, you know, it's just part of it. Right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I think you what I like to say is I have met my people quota and I have met my word quota like I've got nothing left. And that uh, I love that. I knew that we would be uh, deep, long friends so that uh, I I say that I'm a high functioning introvert. I can get it done. I can get it done, but it doesn't mean I crave it, you know, and that, uh, yeah, yeah. which which in my experience oftentimes make for some of the most um, fruitful um, servants because they don't necessarily seek all of the other stuff it's like you know I tell people all the time and um, you will get a kick out of this and inevitably there'll be some people young adults who will listen to this that I've told this but um, when anybody comes to me and they're like hey I think I'm being called to ministry uh, the thing that I tell them right from the jump is if you can go do anything else with your life and have peace in your heart go do that
1: my grandpa told me the exact same thing, so my grandfather that was a oh, pastor wow. for fifty years, so this is the same okay. grandfather that that pastored in churches for fifty years and um he you know I remember having conversations with him about wrestling uh you know leaving coaching and teaching and stepping into ministry and I remember i was I had a hundred expectations as to what he would tell me, but I will never forget. The first thing out of his mouth was, Brandon, if you can do anything else and be happy, go do it. If you can do anything yeah. else and, and feel like you are fulfilling the call that God's put on your life, then go do it. Because he's like, ministry yeah. will chew you up and it will spit you out. And and don't get me wrong, it's, it's, it is incredibly rewarding, but, but he was not wrong. He was not wrong. And it has, it has very little, it is universal. It is not just the <laughs> churches that we're at. Like I love my church; um, Me they're too. They're, incre- they're an incredible group of people to live life with. But I've not mm-hmm. always been at this church, right? I've I've been in ministry for a long time, and and uh, and it usually has very little to do with the church, and it has a whole lot to do with the people that cross your path. And um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's interesting that you heard that because. You know, you're talking about a guy who was in vocational ministry for half a century. Um, and that was with the first words that he told me.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd never heard it. It just fell out of my mouth one day. I had a teenager come and like, hey, I think I'm being called to ministry and I'm like, If if you can do right. if you can do anything else uh and be at peace, you probably better go do that. And if you go try other things and there is still that restlessness, that kind of wooing that drawing and calling which i love one day we were eating lunch and you looked at me and you said what exactly is a calling what is that mm. we talk about being called like that um i can't tell you how how much i've smoked that over uh yeah. driving to and from appointments and kind of processing that that was yeah that was good but yeah that um i think that i think that given our family our leftovers, and it doesn't matter what you do for a living, it doesn't matter what our professions are, as um, busy, active men and women, moms and dads, husbands and wives, um, I love what you said, that your first ministry, which is simply to serve, right? So minister literally yeah. means servant. Ministry means to serve, and so the first Uh, priority of service is to our families. I wish that our culture could get back to that.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. You know, I, I, I feel like that's an area of, of our society that um, we've begun to, we've begun to understand the value of family um, because we're beginning to see the consequences of of what happens when you don't make them a priority and they're not done correctly. Um, And, you know, I mean, shoot, we could sit here and we could spout statistics all day long about what happens when a kid doesn't have a dad at home or, you know, what divorces do to kids. And, and hear me, you know, there's a lot of great kids and there's a lot of awesome people that come from those types of situations. And so I'm not at all, I'm not at all saying that, that you know I think you know what I mean like I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad if they've been through those situations but but what yeah. I do believe that we see is we're seeing what happens when when families um aren't important and um mm-hmm. you know and, and um uh, there's a reason why the enemy attacks the family there's a reason why mm-hmm. why the devil does his best to to end marriages, to, to create conflict in homes. Um, because if he can do that, if he can create unrest and if he can create dissension and conflict and tension, uh, in that environment, man, how much easier, how much easier is it for him to do that amongst strangers amongst people that live Mm -hmm. life and work at your workplace? And so, yeah, I agree with you. I think the breakdown of the family is, is a much bigger problem than what we've we've made it out to be i believe and um yeah i mean that me and my wife we just made the decision like that's not going to happen here just not going to happen mm-hmm. and, and we pray into that every day pray into it every day so
0: and i i believe the pendulum is starting to swing back i mean do you agree do you think that yeah yeah I believe I believe so too I believe the pendulum is finally I think it has apexed and it's starting to swing back um and in that i hope i pray actually consistently how many times has one of your students been the spiritual leader of their homes
1: oh yeah i mean we we have that right now i mean we have we have individuals. You know, we, we uh we talked about this not too long ago. We we purchased our church purchased a, a building that's on uh that neighbored our church building and so we purchased it, we overhauled it, gutted it, redid it, turned it into a, a youth building. And I remember praying specifically with our church leadership um as we were going through that process, like I prayed specifically that God would send us students who were from broken homes, whose parents were lost um, where church was not a priority, like send us those kids. Like those are the kids that we want because I, I firmly believe and Steph and I have seen this throughout the years in ministry where we've had our hands in student ministry. If, if a student comes, starts to come into church and, and has a revolutionary experience, life changing relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, they come to know the Lord. They begin to live their life, um, you know, for the Lord, I'm a firm believer that if you've truly encountered Christ, you can't help but change, right? You can't help but be different, right. Um, right? And so, if we can get a hold of students who genuinely encounter the Lord, who develop and pursue and chase after the Lord with their whole heart, that they can win their parents. And what that usually looks like is, is their parents are like, um, "What is happening to my child? What is? Why does you know out of all the places that my kid could go?" Why are they wanting to go to church? Like what's happening out there? And then what happens is is you see church becomes important to those students and then their parents start slowly coming to church. And it's not mm. it's not dirty pool, right? It's not a ter- it's not yeah. like you're trying to manipulate students. But what happens is is that students fall in love with Jesus. They go home and they're preaching that with the way that they live their life. They talk different, they act different, they do different things. Um, and so then their their parents, out of sometimes just simply curiosity, find themselves sitting in the back row of your church thinking, what is this all about? And then the next thing you know, it may take years to happen, It, it, it mm-hmm. but you start seeing parents come to know Christ because their student began to be the spiritual leader of their home. And they weren't going yeah. home and preaching three-point messages at the dinner table. That's not the way they did it. <laughs> You know yeah. they just they start they just started living life different and um yeah. man some of my some of the greatest stories and memories that I have in ministry over the years have come in situations like that where entire households were changed for christ um and it all started with the kid who just came to church one Wednesday night and started making different decisions, you know, so
0: wow. Wow, and praise God that that's happening. In all the years that I did student ministry, maybe on one hand, I can think of whole homes that were saved. Um, You know, that statistic, and I'm not going to share the numbers because I'd be making it up and it'd be incorrect, but it's a single-digit percentage when the teenager is a spiritual head. It's a uh, low double digit percentage when the mother is the spiritual leader, and then it's yeah. a high double digit percentage when it's the father. And and um, going back to the authenticity and humility as parents, um, there I think that. The parents who are in tune enough to see the changes in their kids are the ones that get curious and then begin to ask questions and then eventually come full circle. But I journeyed with countless teenagers who got so beat up and dejected because they could not get through to their parents. Yeah. And I don't know that they ever gave up. I Some of them, I would bet, are still trying. And um yeah. You know, that, um, it just, I I think in that, in that mindset that the pendulum is starting to swing, my expectation is that we would see an uptick in entire families who are worshiping together. Like in the context of our local church, there is so much to praise God for, right? Uh, Whatever metrics people want to put to, to, uh, I'm, I hesitate to even say success, but whatever, whatever metrics
1: yeah 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 the
0: one the one thing that excites me that gets me fired up our whole families worshiping together, yeah um and that's part of that pendulum swinging back, I believe I think that's part of a big piece of this authenticity and transparency and and vulnerability, and I think it does start in our one-on-one relationships with our friends as men I think it does start in um one-on-one relationships that our wives have with each other just the community aspect in each of those relationships I'm about to get excited in all of yeah. those ways you know what I'm saying though that, yeah. that's the thing that that's the thing that brings me alive and and a gigantic piece of this simplify work is the authenticity it is the transparency it is the community but it's encouraging the parts and the whole of of faith and family and friends and community and this kind of cog to to move us culturally back um into the original design um
1: yeah, I man, I love everything that you just said there, and and I'm so that's why I'm so passionate specifically for for fathers, um, in our community. That's why it's so important to me to to have friendships and relationships with people who are living in similar seasons of life, because I'm so passionate about the dad who's willing to take the bull by the horns and understand like I have I have to be. I have to be the spiritual leader of my home, and so many fathers um, who maybe have always been in church um, and, and have the best of intentions. There's a difference between being a father who is a believer, who loves the Lord, and you can you can do all of those things and still not be the spiritual leader of your home. Um, wow. You know, you can you can be saved by grace through faith and still not be the spiritual leader of your home. And, and I think that that's why community is so important, especially amongst men who are fathers and husbands. Because it's imperative that we understand the difference. Because here, here's a statistic that I will give, because I, I, I know this and I use this often. 75% of people that they, who do not know Christ by the age of 17, if they have not become a believer by the age of 17... 75 plus percent of those individuals never will. Wow. And so when you take that statistic and you realize what's at stake, when statistically speaking, now obviously God can do whatever he wants to do, and there are obviously individuals who will not become a statistic. But when you look at that and you realize how important it is that a child be, be raised in the way of the word and understand what it means to be a follower of Christ – which in turn points them into the right direction of everything else that we've talked about, right? Community, Mm -hmm. um, all of those things, um, that has to be done. Um, statistically speaking, by the time they're 17 years, by the time they leave the house. And, and if a father, and I'm I mean, I'm just going to be bold. If a father doesn't do that, um, I truly believe that God has equipped fathers to do that. And if a father doesn't do that, and I get it, there are situations where there's not a father in the picture, and there are strong females who have picked up the mantle and have done that well over the years. Um, but, But I think that relationships between men are important because it should spur us on to do that role well. And it should encourage us to do it well and it should give us individuals in our life that help us accomplish that task where we where we feel like we're not doing it by ourselves. You know? And I like you, I'm I'm getting all fired up and chasing rabbits and all that kind of stuff, but but man, that, that's hard that's the heartbeat. To, yeah. That's that's the heartbeat of community for me, is because um, I know what it feels like to be a man who feels like a failure. But when you mm-hmm. have people in your life who are willing to come alongside of you. And who love you enough to even say the hard things, like, "Dude, quit throwing yourself a pity party." You know, dust yourself off and get back in the game. Like, do it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that doesn't happen unless you have authenticity. And uh, yeah, but yeah, seeing seeing that family dynamic, seeing whole families come to know Christ, um, there's nothing better. I mean, in ministry, yeah,
0: um,
1: that's what that's what gives you the fuel to keep going, right? And so, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing.
0: Cool, cool. All right. We could go for days. Uh, We're an hour and 20 minutes in, so uh, I know you all have supper. We have supper, but um, so every episode except Gabe's because I forgot. Um, (laughs) I'm going to make it up to Gabe at some point. We'll have him back on later. And I may ask him twice. Um, But so I try to end uh, every episode with this question. Um, How do you keep things simple? What does that look like for you?
1: Yeah, I think the the simplest thing that I do is I just simply try to keep the main thing the main thing. You know, I I think that that's probably sounds a little cliche, but um, in our life we have something that is pretty important to our family. Um, before we get ourselves involved in something or before we do something, we we just we do the 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 hard work of examining. Hey, how's this going to impact our family? Um, mm. And you know, does it have any does it have eternal worth? Um, is there something that happens inside of it that, that gives us opportunity to do the important work of, of the kingdom? Um, but, uh, you know, we've talked about it a little bit already today. Um, we, we don't do anything that just blatantly uh, puts our family at risk um, when it comes mm-hmm. to uh, the dynamic of, of who we are, what we believe, and, and why we believe it. And so we just try to do our best to keep the main thing the main thing, and sometimes that that uh, means you say some hard no's. Um, Sometimes that means you make some people mad when you say no. Um, but when you when you work hard to keep things simple by just measuring it by that 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 standard of man, is this something that God would have us do? Um, it's funny um, how many things you save yourself from, <laughs> and yeah. uh, you know. <laughs> Um, you know, and a lot of people are going to potentially look at the, you know, watch this. They're going to be like, wait, the freebies do anything besides simple because dude, we run hard, (laughs) you know, we got so many things going on and, um, but I can't imagine how even more chaotic our life would be if we didn't run it through that filter first. So
0: awesome, man. I was was just telling charity the other day, no is a complete sentence. You can put a period, no period is a full sentence.
1: Yeah, I'm still learning how to use that one, but... uh, (laughs) Me uh, too, uh, brother. It's it's a pretty important
0: one. Yeah, I'm with you. Well, Brandon, thank you. Uh, Thank you for your friendship. Thank you uh, for pouring into me, holding my feet to the fire. Um, You are one of um, only two pastoral friends, uh, genuine friends that I have um, here in Missouri, and you are community to me, man. And so... I am thankful for you. Uh, I'm thankful for your family, and uh, and thank you for coming on. Thank you for the visit and for being uh, vulnerable and open and authentic.
1: Yeah, man, you're a blessing to me too. I'm I'm thankful God's put you in my life. Um, you know, it's it's for just a season of the, like this. You know, it was just for a time like this that I think that our paths crossed, and I'm looking forward to seeing how God uses us moving forward and, and, and I, I i'm in, i'm grateful i, I love you and, and i'm looking forward to our families getting to know each other a little bit better Rego will kill yeah. some ducks later on this year man,
0: so. <laughs> that's exactly right we're gonna hold <laughs> tim to it this year that's right that's all right, right. brother I'll, I'll talk to you soon i love you too